Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It's Save This City. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Hey there, and welcome to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 28 of the podcast. This time around, we are looking at The Flash Season 2, Episode 19, Back to Normal. Arrow Season 4, 19, Canary Cry. And Legends of Tomorrow Season 1, Episode 13, Leviathan. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from Save this city podcast.wordpress.com. That's your one stop shop for all things this podcast, like our back episodes, our social media and contact links, and podcatcher links. And if you could take the time to leave a review on whatever podcatcher app you use, a review of the written kind, then I would very much appreciate it. And if you have any thoughts regarding any of these episodes that we discuss, or hopefully you enjoyed uh, mine and at Glenn Ewing on Twitter, uh, mine and Glenn's uh, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the prior episode. If you have any thoughts about uh, Captain America Civil War, since that's going to be coming out this week, uh, feel free to send those thoughts to me as well. Glenn will be returning for a review of that movie with me at some point in the future. So look forward to that. And if you have any thoughts that you want to chime in for us to field while we're recording that podcast, feel free to send them in now. How do you do that? Well, you send an email to save this city podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at save this city pod, or you can call three one four six six nine one eight four zero and leave a voicemail. And, that's all that I have in regards to the podcast business, so let's get to talking about these episodes. We will start with The Flash, Season 2, Episode 19, Back to Normal. It was a story by Brooke Roberts and Catherine Walchick, and it was directed by John F. Showalter. There were some okay moments in this episode, but for, for the most part, I, I actually felt kind of meh about it. I suppose you could say that Barry having to deal with, with crime, but not having his powers to do so. I mean, that was an interesting enough dynamic in principle. Allowing himself to be beat up was certainly noble, and, and it was a great sacrifice. And I, I will give the writing and the actor playing the aging kid credit for pretty much giving a performance where even though you were seeing a middle-aged man and then, of course, an old man, the phrasing of the words and the mentality of the teenager kind of mind really came through. And I'm glad they didn't have him, you know, 
get his powers back in a single episode, Barry, I mean, because that would be too easy. Except that with the last scene in the Arrow show this week, the shows having crossover story aspects to them are now out of sync again. But I'm going to talk more about that when we do my review on the Arrow episode uh, rather than dwell on it here. Now, I will say that I really liked getting the whole double Daniel Panabaker in the same set sort of stuff. And the differences between Caitlin and Killer Frost are pretty big, but so are the similarities. And I love that, uh, you know, given their apparent relationships with their mothers and other similarities that were pointed out. So I guess the reasoning that Killer Frost has her powers and Caitlin doesn't seem to have any powers uh, was the fact that they were in two different locations during their own particle accelerator explosions um, on their respective Earths. And I honestly can't remember the earlier episodes to compare where the Cisco's proximity was. Uh, but he was in the building as well as Caitlin. They were both in the building. Ronnie was in the building. Ronnie ended up, of course, becoming part of Firestorm. And Cisco has a vibe. So if Caitlin was in the building, where was she in the building where she didn't get affected? Or if Cisco can become vibe, does that mean that Caitlin can eventually develop powers uh, of her own. Was she affected by the particle accelerator blast? Um, she was there, right? That's what I'm trying to remember. But I guess for me, because I really enjoy seeing that actress, uh, the way she plays Killer Frost, I'm really sad to see her go. Her betrayal of Catelyn was great, but of course it cost her. And I love seeing Panabaker be so, like, over the top in a good comic villain way. You know, sometimes I comment that it's too over the top or not enough over the top. But this seemed just right there, like the right balance uh, for Killer Frost. Uh, I, I thought she did a great job at that. And now, you know, I guess we're not going to see that anymore. Uh, un unless, of course... This was a younger version of Killer Frost, and they make her some kind of time remnant, too. Uh, that brings me to the whole Zoom-loving Caitlin thing, I guess. And, and that's where I really get confused, because it was younger Jay that started to have feelings for her. So, Zolomon's memories are from that, I guess? But the question I have is, since the younger version of him died... Can he have those memories? I It's all so confusing to me. It just confuses... The, the whole time remnant thing just really confuses the hell out of me. Um, so, Zolomon became a time remnant the instant that he killed his younger self, is, is what I, I'm guessing. So, I guess that, you know, he could have those memories... Um, and then once he became a time remnant, he would still retain on what, what he had had. Um, but you would think that he would remember dying too. It's all just so confusing. Uh, but anyway, since Solomon is a time remnant from here or from the point that he kills, um, who we knew as Jay, uh, really a younger version of Solomon, I suppose that, you know, just like with Thawne, they can basically the whole time remnant thing is you have to 
get through all of the events until you just dissipate into nothingness is, is the way I understand it. So the thing is, is if the show keeps going and saying, well, Thawne did one more thing or Zolomon did one more thing, they can keep adding on and they can keep having these characters come back. So it does become very Lazarus pittish <laughs> to me. Um, but back to the Zoom loving Caitlin thing, this whole I love you, someday you'll love me too delusion. I mean, that's just so tropey. And everybody does that with a villain. It would have been a lot more interesting to me if Zoom needed Caitlin's scientific abilities more so than the fact that he just loves her. And and maybe that's still the case. I mean, Zoom could be putting on an act, but at this point, I don't know. It just seems unlikely. I'll have to hope that that could still be the case. And he's just putting on this whole love act because he really needs her for another scientific thing. Um, something that can be used to defeat him. How do you defeat a time remnant, though, if he still has events that he has to play out? I don't know. Again, I'm just all confused. Now, the whole Jesse thing was finally answered, and all my fun theories about that were, you know, completely off. Still, though, I'm I'm betting that Cisco's vibe will happen in the future. I'm just not sure how far in the future. Bean and, and Kavanaugh, they did fine with the story, I guess, it's not quite as moving as I expected it would be, and I don't know if that was the acting or the writing. Wells trying to delay our our little uh, teenaged old man villain, that was okay. His quest was okay, you know, and going looking for Jesse. His promise to Jesse itself, that was okay. Um, his commitment to help Barry was okay, but it, I keep using the word okay because... As strong as some of the other performances that Kavanaugh has given of Wells, it just kind of all paled by comparison to me this week. But what all this does do, I guess, is position this particle accelerator explosion version 2.0, right? Uh, And we have Jesse Quick, is now in a position, I mean, could she be affected by the particle, the second particle accelerator explosion and become her, her Jesse Quick thing? If not, then you could still have maybe the the remnants of Velocity 9 in her system um, and maybe the impending accelerator explosion uh, could combine with that in some way. Um, or they could be separate uh, either way. Um, but there's still a lot of ways to make uh, Jesse actually Jesse Quick, as, of course, that Wells calls her. And given Wally's new fondness of the Flash, I mean, maybe that positions him to become a speedster himself, as he does in the comics. I don't know. But, I mean, we, we've seen complaints from people before about the show already having too many speedsters in it. So um, do you want two more? with a Jesse and a Wally. Is it too much to do all of this all at once? Maybe in some kind of other sequences later on down the line, um, it might work out better that way. But the whole point of having Wally as a flash is really because Barry, uh, doesn't work out. Right. So I don't know if, 
uh, you know, if the show will even go down that route or if they're just using Wally as, you know, a character from the DC universe that they can just put in closer to the events. Maybe he can help with the team, but not become a speedster himself for a while. On the other hand, I, I think the Joe and Wally stuff was pretty good this week, as was the Iris and Barry stuff. Uh, I really like that whole hero talk slash what makes Barry Allen talk a lot. And as for the status of the relationship in regards to the future, who knows? Right now it almost seems to me like they're kind of back in the place where they were this time last season, where they're, they're more or less friends, right? Or at the beginning of this season, where there's, there's a friendship bond more so than anything else. And that's fine with me. But I'm sure that the network is, is going to have insisted to these showrunners that they're going to have to continue to stir that pot. So, I don't know. I, I just can't find myself being comfortable with any position that Barry and Iris are in because I know it's going to change. Right? Despite that whole love triangle CW mandate aspect of it, I, I have to admit that actually I still miss Patty a lot. And I know the actress Chantel Van Satin, she's probably working on other projects, but I would hope that at, at least one end of the season guest appearance might happen. I mean, please, if anybody on the show is listening to me at all, please bring Patty back just for the end, if nothing else. I would love to see that. And I guess the last thing to address really about The Flash is this whole mask thing. Uh, who's in the mask? I, I suppose as long as Caitlin is there, we might get an answer through her. It, it's looking less likely that my theory of a powerless Barry is the answer, given the way that the Arrow episode went, because he's got his powers back. So Zoom would have to snatch him at a specific window there and I don't think you can have him come back from that I, I don't get that at all anyway so um, Barry is probably not the person in the mask it's, it pains me to have to admit that but that seems to be the case so I really have no idea you would have to assume that it's someone that we've met or someone that we know or else there's really no reason to make it a mystery um, and that's the only thing that I can come up with. I'm more clueless about who's in the mask than I was about who was in the casket um, for Arrow. Um, that brings me to my rating for this episode so that I can move on to the Arrow episode. I mean, it wasn't a bad episode by any stretch. It, and it, to me, it wasn't the weakest episode of the season. Um, it was certainly better than the trajectory episode, in my opinion. So... It still just didn't really, you know, like make me stand up and applaud or anything either, though. So I'm going to go 7.8 or 7.9 for this episode and, and move on to Arrow, which is season four, episode 19, Canary Cry, written by Wendy Miracle and Beth Schwartz and directed by Laura Belzey. And there was a heck of a lot of emotion in this episode, both for the characters and for the viewers, of course. But before I dive into all of that, I, I do want to comment about the last scene, which I brought up, of course, in, during the Barry thing. First of all, <laughs> just as a nitpick, because you know I got a nitpick, right? Um, that's a heck of a cemetery groundskeeping team, right? I mean, they're able to lower Laurel's casket in there and clean it all up real nice. And yet Oliver and Felicity, you know, just they're doing that so quickly that Oliver and Felicity can just hang around. Um, yeah. 
That was really nitpicky. Sorry. Anyway, uh, the, the big thing is that because this scene happened before we got the idea of whether Barry will get his speed back or not, it once again puts the crossover aspect of the two shows out of sync. And it's usually due to the way that the networks choose to to make the shows take off certain weeks so that the production can keep up. Um, The hiatuses can, you know, the, the way they space out the hiatuses. And that way they can even, you know, throw in a, a new series uh, to kind of try out or, or they can have a, a little mini series if they wish as a special. So it's usually on the networks and there's not really a whole lot you can do about that, but it, it just annoys me because it, it's clear that the upcoming episode 20 of Flash is supposed to happen before this episode 19 of Arrow. And it's not so much that we're being spoiled about Barry getting his speed back. We've known that. Uh, and then we had the episode where he lost his speed. It was like, well, we saw in the flash forward that uh, he's definitely going to, to get his speed back. So there's no worry there. But if they're out of sync this way, is there a possibility that something else that might be very important to one story or the other will be spoiled for us? That's the thing that I worry about. Not the spoiling of this. This wasn't really a spoiler. But is there another crossover aspect that may still happen uh, between these two shows in the last few episodes that because they are out of sync won't work uh, together or will spoil one or the other of the shows? That would be my big concern. Like if I see Oliver getting stabbed or something at the end of an Arrow episode, I don't want to see him in the next week's Flash be all fine uh, in the episode before we get to how he got fine in the Arrow episode, if you know what I'm saying. that That's the thing. Um, okay, so that that's really my only complaint. As far as the episode itself goes, the whole faux canary thing, that, that was a fine as a subplot, I guess. So it wasn't all just doom and gloom. They did have something that they had to do, but it was really the individual stories of Diggle and Lance that really made this episode stronger for me than anything else. And I want to start with Diggle. We said last week that Diggle would definitely be feeling all of the guilt of all of this because of Andy. Um, So all of his scenes were fantastic as he kind of was coming to grips with Laurel's death. Especially the scene, of course, where he confronted Ruve Dark and then Oliver had to stop him. There wasn't really any grief stage of denial for John. I mean, he just went straight to anger, man. And that was super intense. Um, and when he, like, you know, the frustration of it all when he smashed his helmet against the hood of the car, that was scary for a second. And I felt so bad for Diggle. Because how could he not feel responsible, given the Andy thing? Uh, and it doesn't matter what anybody else tries to tell him, or not try to tell him, like in the in this case of Felicity. But more on that in a moment. It has to be extremely ironic for John, given his, his past advice to Oliver about blind spots, and he's probably tormenting over that as well. And he he seems to be a little better by the end of this episode, but there, there's going to be an inevitable showdown between John and Andy. And it may turn out to be one of the most interesting things that I'm looking forward to for the rest of the season. 
I mean, will John be able to put Andy just in jail and not just try to kill him? Or, or will John even succeed? Will his rage towards Andy, you know, be his undoing? That The future is kind of fraught with possibilities for Diggle. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that storyline plays out uh, as we wind down this season. Now, while John didn't seem to have any denial himself, I mean, poor, poor Captain Lance. And even, you know, Laurel and Sarah's mother, when she came at the grave, she was having, she was still in kind of a, a bit of denial. And it had to be Captain Lance that actually kind of told her, no, this is, there is no other way out. This is it. Um, which was heartbreaking as well that for the guy that had uh, been trying so hard to figure out a way to bring Laurel back to have to tell his ex-wife that there was no bringing Laurel back. And I will say just real quickly, yes, it was great to see River Song again. Love that actress, Alex Kingston. Great. Sad to see it under such terrible circumstances. You know, I would rather see it, have seen her in a, in a little bit happier of an episode but the person who, who who really has truly brought it in terms of acting over the last couple of episodes has been Paul Blackthorne. I mean, give it up for the guy because he's creating this kind of intense emotional distress in nearly every scene of this particular episode. That's just got to be exhausting for an actor. And every single moment that he was on screen, my heart just broke for him. And as viewers... We know things that, of course, Lance doesn't like everything about the Lazarus pit being destroyed. So him talking to Nisa and her having to tell him about that, that was so heartbreaking as well. It's just like they're just taking us and just stabbing us over and over and over in the heart as far as Captain Lance goes. And the episode writing and, and the acting just it was an amazing job. I, I've never really commented that much on, on Blackthorn or on, you know, uh, Captain Lance, really, because usually his role just kind of puts him in the background more than anything else. But you've got an actor like this who is in the background all of the time, but when he is given the stuff to work with, can bring this kind of really good drama to the television screen. It's got to be a really good feeling for the showrunners to know that they have that in their bag when they need it. Now, uh, as for Laurel or Katie Cassidy herself, um, most likely making her last appearance for some time on Arrow, and unless they, you know, maybe her con Katie Cassidy's contract, um, requires her to be in more episodes this season. So they could still have more flashbacks, I guess. Uh, but I was really pleased with the tribute to her character and, and the fact that even her legacy w was defended by everyone. The flashbacks themselves offered a, a really nice fill-in between where they were at the end of season one and where they were by the beginning of season two. Um, and they didn't ruin anything in terms of continuity, so I was really pleased with that. And I got my answer to the whole picture thing. Like, I had asked, uh, I don't know, in the last episode or the episode prior... Um, and that whole thing about Laurel keeping the picture now seems much more plausible to me than it did before when it seemed at the hospital scene in 1159. It just didn't seem very plausible that she would keep a picture of herself. But now with that, you know, it being given to her with the whole letter and everything, it makes a lot of sense. 
there is still uh, one thing from 1159 that hasn't been resolved yet. Um, in that is the promise that she asked Oliver to make, you know, that we never really heard on screen. And for a moment, I thought, and when we got to the end of this episode, I was thinking, oh, maybe Oliver telling everyone that she was the Black Canary, maybe that was her wish, was that she wanted everyone to know that. But at the time, when she was asking Oliver to make a promise, I don't think she was planning on dying. So that wouldn't make much sense. She wouldn't want to be alive, be the district attorney, and uh, get arrested immediately because the Black Canary, you know, uh, is you. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, So I still don't know what the promise is, and, and maybe that'll have something to play out at the end of this particular season, hopefully, and it won't just be dropped. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to drop it. Uh, so I'm sure they're planning on it being something important. But that's really the only thing that I can think of as far as Laurel's character that is a loose end that needs to be tied up. Everything else seems to have been done nicely in terms of tying up her character and um, and making us feel bad for the loss. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to miss Black Canary terribly now. And I feel bad for the fact that I used to complain about Laurel so much simply because, uh, again, it's one of those things you just don't realize what you have until it's gone. Speaking of gone, there wasn't a whole lot of Thea in this episode. She was very much in the background. Not a whole lot of emotion from her either in the scenes that we did get from her and I found that a little surprising because given her connection with Sarah and the bloodlust, and I think wasn't even she like living with Laurel for a little while. I I would think that Thea would be much more upset about Laurel dying than anything that we've really seen evidence of on screen anyway. And, and probably more so than Felicity. And I, I understand the whole thing about her guilt about not being at the bunker with the team. I, I understood that. It's not like she could have done anything, though. But on the other hand, you know, you get to the end scene, and her reaction seems extreme on the other side to me. You have to kill him. You have to kill him. You know, I was a little shocked by that when we got that in the flash forward earlier in the season but I was willing to see, you know, depending on who it was in the casket, that it would make sense. And to me, her mother would have made sense for her to act like that. Maybe even Oliver's child might have made sense for her to act like that. But um, Laurel, I, I mean, they <laughs> she was going to marry the guy that Laurel was in love with. And so I don't understand how... how Laurel could bring out those kinds of emotional over responses, kill, kill dark, you know, um, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense given Felicity's character, um, that we've seen before, but maybe this is supposed to indicate us a subtle shift or a not so subtle shift in Felicity's character. So we'll have to see about that. And I do want to say that the whole eulogy thing was a great way to tie the flashbacks uh, together with the present in this episode, even though, you know, the very first, the the very first flashback um, with the funeral for Tommy, that was kind of a misdirect uh, right off at the top of the episode and a little bit cheap to do that. But the, the final eulogy, you know, the one actually for Laurel 
I thought everybody in that scene just brought their A game and uh, I sunk down into my seat and, and experienced the feels really hard uh, when I watched that. That was um, good stuff done by everybody in the cast. So with that, uh, it's pretty much all I have as far as Arrow goes, except for my rating. And this episode was darn good, um, even if it was tragically sad. I do hate the whole Flash crossover now, again, because I'm worried that if the shows are out of sync, that something might get spoiled as the seasons of one show or the other, um, you know, make their end run here. But other than that, I, I was pretty much all in on this episode, and I did get a lot out of it. So I'm going to go a straight nine uh, for this episode of Arrow. It was really good. And the only thing left to talk about is the Legends of Tomorrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Season 1, Episode 13, Leviathan, written by Sarah Nicole Jones and Ray Utarnichit. I hope I said that name right. I, I've seen it several times now, but I've still probably said it three different ways and all three of them being wrong. Directed by a name I can pronounce, Gregory Smith. Thank God. All right. Uh, and there was... Only one thing that I really didn't like throughout this whole episode, to be perfectly honest. And, and if you've been listening to this podcast, at any at all, in the past, then you've already figured out <laughs> what I didn't like about this episode. That's right. The whole CW love triangle mandate rears its ugly head yet again. And, uh, I mean, just look at the hero that Ray really was in this episode and how amazing he was taking that chance, reversing the polarity with the atom suit. He could have blown himself apart. And then fighting that Leviathan thing, which obviously had some power to it because it nearly took him out uh, a couple of times. And all of that is really going to be for naught in compared to the way Kendra looks at him because all Kendra is concerned about now is that her boy Carter is back. And I just hate that. I mean, it was inevitable, of course. They'd been pointing towards this for a while, and we'd even talked about the fact that it was going to happen here on this podcast. But, you know, I like to be in denial about these kind of things until I have to confront them. But here's the thing. The, the fact that this Carter isn't her Carter, and, and the fact that he's going to reincarnate anyway, whether he remembers who he is or not, why should Kendra even care or be worried for this Carter? And I know it's because she loves him and, and all of their lives and all of their incarnations. She's always loved him. So you can't ask her to kill Savage without Carter getting a chance to, to be who he is. But would this Carter still be able to even be with her? That's a question that I've posed before. And, I just hate all of this drama because it really wouldn't matter if she just would have never made the choice to be with Ray in the first place. That's the mistake that Kendra made, and that's that. That was the thing uh, that has forced all of this. And yes, you can't choose who you fall in love with, but you can choose to never let it happen if you're already in love with someone else, which seems to be what the case here was with Kendra. And that's my problem with Kendra and Ray really being together at all because it just was so that they could have this love triangle thing happen now. And on top of that, 
you know, I, I just want to look at this you know, from the way that they've used Sarah to talk to Kendra about Ray. One week she's all about Kendra mowing, going on forward with Ray. And then this week she seems like she's kind of like, well, what about Carter? It almost feels like that the writers have just used her character to play devil's advocate and, and have not paid any attention to the fact that the character would be true to an idea rather than just flip sides conveniently. And I hate that because I love Sarah Lance. She's one of my favorite characters on the show, and I don't like her being used in that manner um, and so inconsistently when being used in that manner. Um, that really just drove me crazy. So all of that kind of wraps up my only real big problem with this episode. But there is one other small nitpick that I have here. I mean, if the force of that ship crash managed to actually knock over Rip's chair, a chair that is surely very well anchored to the hull of the ship, how the heck do you expect a bunch of women and children who have nothing to secure themselves with to survive? I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of artificial gravity on the ship, right? And you could use that to explain why the kids and the women survived. But if there is artificial gravity on the ship, then why would Rip's chair be affected? Uh, I, it, it just wouldn't uh, wouldn't make any sense either way you go about it. And that's a really minor nitpick, so I'll get off of that, I promise. Um, everything else about this episode, I really, I just loved. E- even though I, I'm not a great fan of the whole redemption of Rory uh, being kind of sped up and almost forgotten about, I really had to let that go because I realized that's where the show, this direction the show was going and I've accepted it. Uh, and I thought Rory was great with the team this week. So, you know, in that way it paid off and, and really, you know, getting to melt down that bracelet with, with his uh, little fire gun that probably made <laughs> Rory's week. Speaking of which, you know, Kendra's whole idea about melting the bracelet onto Carter's mace. That was very inventive, maybe a little predictable, once you saw that the mace was, they actually still had the mace with them. But I, I think once she hit Savage with that thing and, and kind of dropped him uh, and he dropped that dagger, she probably should have grabbed the dagger and used that instead. Of course, she wasn't going to get a chance because Savage played his little mind game with her about Carter. But it was good to see that that mace could actually damage Savage, at least. But again, Kendra's decision... Maybe it's only delayed the death of Rip's family. That was some good drama when Kendra had to tell Rip that she couldn't kill Savage because of Carter. But again, we keep hearing that as far as Rip's family goes, that time wants to happen. And this is kind of their last chance in that regard. So you have to ask yourself, is Rip going to have to get to a place where he can accept his wife and child's death and think about the bigger picture in terms of saving the world rather than just thinking about them. I guess there's nothing they can really do with Savage at the moment uh, until after they deprogram Carter. Um, but once they do deprogram Carter, then you're going to have that love triangle mess if it isn't already. On the other hand, I absolutely loved the whole Snart and Savage's daughter stuff, Cassandra here. That that was super fantastic to bring that character in. Uh, she did maybe got turned around on her father pretty quickly and conveniently for the story. But man, the chick is badass. 
And I, I hope that they actually keep her around for a while. I hope she's not just a guest star. I, I would think it would be great to see her become part of the team. I mean, can you imagine her and Sarah fighting bad guys with the kind of their backs to each other? Because they're both such badass. And all of the fight sequences were great in this episode, from Cassandra just training men to Sarah being a total badass with her sticks to Snart and Rory blasting people, and especially Ray fighting Leviathan. And because there was more finality implied in this episode than in previous Savage Eps, I, I didn't even mind the fact that we had to have this, you know, find and infiltrate formula in regards to him that has been done over and over this season. And we did get a, a slightly different result at the end of this particular episode than we've had in past episodes. So that was good. And as much as I hate the love triangle thing, uh, I really hope that they can deprogram Carter so that Kendra's mind can really be put at ease about that. And, and then they can just kill Savage and jettison his remains out in space. Because I think it's time for this team to move on to something besides Savage. I hope that they really don't make this whole series about getting Savage. A season of it has been enough for me already, so they need to wrap that up. Plus, there are other aspects of the story uh, I think that they can explore. I've read an article where it seems like they're going to explore the whole Laurel death with Sarah, and I don't know, does that mean, have they already done that with the 2046 episode? Because Oliver did say that Laurel and Captain Lance were gone. So in a way, Sarah does already know that Laurel is gone in the future, but she doesn't know how or when. And I I would like to see that happen somehow on this show before the season ends. And I honestly don't have any idea what's going to happen with Savage at this point, because you know, they could end up killing him, which I hope that they do, and they move just move on to other things that they have to save. Or he might get away, you know, which would be not out of character for him to get away. So that would be acceptable, but I'm just, again, I don't like the whole idea of dragging the whole savage thing out. Um, I, I'm still hoping that the main mission basically ends up uh, changing some um, by the time we get to season two. Let's just put it that way. And that's really all I have for Legends. So all in all, I really thought this was a fantastic episode. And despite the CW mandate stuff, which you guys know I always complain about, um, I'm still going to go with a 9.1 for this episode. To me, out of the three episodes this past week, it was the strongest. Even if it was just by a little bit over Arrow, it still was stronger. And uh, it was a fantastic episode. And I don't have any feedback, as usual. Come on, people, write me. Save this city podcast at gmail.com or at Save This City Pod on Twitter or call 314 669 1840 and tell me what you thought of these episodes or what you think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and mine and Glenn's thoughts about it or what you thought of Captain America Civil War when you go and watch it this week, which I'm sure you will. Get all of that to me and we'll have a podcast next Monday covering the next episodes that aired this week on the CW in the Flash and Arrow universe. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com If you have feedback you can leave a voicemail by calling 314 
or send email to save this city podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at save this city pod please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use <laughs>